Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 10X Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Anil Irfan. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, This episode is going to be a little bit different. I wanted to include a clip of my recent guest lecture at Nova Southeastern University. This lecture was to Dr. Bronzberg's health informatics class, and it focused on telehealth basics building the foundational understanding for students about telehealth and some nuances and founding principles of practical tips of incorporating telehealth and telemedicine tools into clinical practices. Really has been a passion of mine to help push forward telehealth and virtual care education in academic curriculums. In my opinion, Many academic institutions are missing the opportunity to educate students that are now digitally native, comfortable with technology, and giving them the base foundational understanding of how to leverage and how to use virtual care, telehealth, telemedicine technologies. The administrators that I've come across, many of them believe that virtual care and telehealth is the future. Truth is, telehealth and these virtual care solutions are being used every single day. And you give your students a disservice if you do not give them education on these tools. So it's an honor and a privilege for me to be invited, this is my third time being invited to Dr. Bronzberg class, to provide a guest lecture to truly give these students a foundational learning about telehealth, the use of telehealth, and practical tips on how to leverage into clinical practices. And that's where this lecture starts. It starts with basic definitions, goes into describing various telehealth modalities. I give a little snapshot into the history and a fun little history into key historical events leading to the rise of telehealth technology usage, the need for telehealth based on the American healthcare system trends, and then practical tips of incorporating these solutions into clinical practices. I then move into talking about updates to Florida telehealth policy and legislation, and then we end into federal telehealth policy nuances and updates from Medicare's recent physician fee schedule. And then lastly, I close on what's the future for telehealth and the use of these technologies. So hope you guys enjoyed. This is going to be the clip from my guest lecture from Nova Southeastern University on Telehealth 101, the basics and practical tips of incorporating telehealth. Hope you guys enjoy. presenter and that person you see the slide up there with his name there and that's Neil Erfren. He's a certified telemedicine telehealth professional virtual health implementation specialist. Uh, he's very very active in the field of telehealth and telemedicine in the state of Florida as well as well as outside. He's, he's national, he's all over. But mainly here in here in the state of Florida. Uh, he not only does that, he does multiple things in and around telemedicine. Uh, a few examples of that are he has a podcast, 10X Healthcare. Uh, he's also the CEO of IMST Innovations, which is the consulting working with supply chain uh, with uh, healthcare organizations. He's also the director of a partnership virtual recess foundation, uh, which is really a cool project that brings virtual reality to children. Um, these children have limitations, so they can't experience or feel the full uh, experience that most children uh, uh, experience when they're doing some things. 
he's able to bring virtual reality into there and eliminate that uh, uh, that obstacle or that barrier barrier so these children really get a, a full-fledged feel of, uh, uh, of, the, of what they're actually doing so very exciting uh, pretty cool pretty darn cool so let me just let and he'll take off with that and he can start with, with the presentation. And afterwards, uh, if you have any questions, uh, by all means, please. Uh, you have an expert in your presence, uh, so do, uh, do uh, converse with him. Neil? All right, terrific. Thank you, guys. You guys hear me okay? Terrific. Um, so do I have – are you moving the screens, uh, Dr. Bronsberg, or am I? Uh, no, no, I'm going to stop. I was. I just wanted to be sure that I gave you complete control. Uh, yeah, I don't think I so have. You, you should be able to move your... your well, you should be able to move your, your... What do you call it? I got it. Okay. And you should be moving forward and backward. Come All right. On. Terrific, Thanks. terrific. I think, uh, I think we're good to go here. So, uh, Dr. Bronsberg, thank you so much uh, for the introduction. Uh, just to recap... Uh, my name is Anil Irfan. I'm a certified telehealth professional. I've been engaged in the space for as an entrepreneur, really, uh, for the last five to six years. Uh, it has been, well, I'll say a, a hell of a journey, uh, a lot of different paths and different things that, that have happened. Uh, and of course, I've learned a lot in this emerging space. So some of the things that I work on, as Dr. Bronsberg uh, mentioned, I have a consulting company where I help organizations develop virtual care and telehealth, telemedicine programs, uh, really focused on needs assessment, uh, applying and selecting technology, and really creating workflows um, around these technologies. Uh, one of the things that we'll, we'll talk about today is, is not only the technology itself, uh, but also how do you actually apply it um, into a healthcare ecosystem. So those are some of the things that I focus on. Uh, I do help with implementation and strategy. That's really, like I mentioned, is, is, is the focus. Uh, I am part and I encourage uh, you guys all to get involved as well. Dr. Bronsberg is a member also. We have Florida telehealth work groups. Uh, basically, these are stakeholders throughout the state that work dil diligently in advancing telehealth in our region and i'm going to talk a little bit about advancements in florida and some of the things that the work that the work group has done this is an exciting emerging field but there's a lot of advocacy and there's a lot of work still to be done around regulation and policy and really carving what the path uh and the future of telehealth will be so getting involved locally nationally as well uh, is always important and it'd be critical to you guys careers um, secondly, I have created a networking community, the Telehealth Champions Network. <clears throat> you can find us on Facebook. It's a terrific uh, resource just to get some initial information about telehealth and also network with other folks in the field. And the last two things that I'll just touch on briefly, uh, I had, did start a podcast a few months ago, the 10X Healthcare Podcast, really focused about the things that I'm passionate about, which are virtual care and tele and telehealth. And then lastly, I appreciate Dr. Brownsburg uh, mentioning this foundation as well. I did f fall into the Virtual Reese Foundation as their director of partnerships, which is an exciting new nonprofit where we actually donate virtual reality headsets to sick children in hospitals. And so uh, I'll mention a little bit about the next wave, which I think is VR. And that's my first foray into that. So all right, guys. Enough about me. So let's let's dig into um, our agenda today. Starting with, uh, let's. I want to start with some learning outcomes um, for today's lecture, so to say. Uh, what we'll, we'll go from here is I also always like to define first. There's a lot of misconceptions on the, the definitions of telehealth and telemedicine. It's critical to understand these definitions. Uh, because of the nuances and the differences uh, as they're laid out in different states. So what I always try to start with is I try to differentiate between telehealth and telemedicine. So we'll talk about that. We'll also dive into the various telehealth modalities. Also very, very important to understand um, as you look at state policies, as you try to get reimbursed, as you try to implement these programs for specific goals, it's very important to understand the various examples and types of telehealth. Uh, we'll, we'll go take a deep dive into those. 
Third, I'm going to give you guys, I try to start from novice definitions and then really try to give you guys practical tips for incorporating telehealth into clinical practices. Now, some of this some of this information was taken from a presentation to nurse practitioners. I'm going to try to round it out to talk a little bit about the technical side as well, but I want to leave you guys with key practical tips that you can use or uh, understand of incorporating telehealth into a clinical practice. And I just noticed a misspell there. <laughs> uh, lastly, I'm going to really dive into the barriers in regards to telehealth adoption and also give you some positive news, positive updates in regards to reimbursement with telehealth policies, not only on a state level, but also on a federal level. Um, and so this is our learning outcomes for today. So we're going to start with defining telehealth and telemedicine. Now, many use these phrases interchangeably, but there is a distinction between the two. So the Health and Resources or HRSA Services Administration defines telehealth as the use of electronic information and telecommunication technologies to support long-distance clinical health care, patient and professional health-related education, public health and health administration. Okay, so that's that HRSA definition of telehealth. Telemedicine refers specifically to remote clinical services, the remote diagnosis and treatment of patients by telecommunication technology. So when you think about the differentiators between telehealth and telemedicine, think of telemedicine as a telehealth as that broader scope of healthcare services, not just those clinical services, and telemedicine being that clinical subset, the actual treatment and diagnosis over a distance, while telehealth could be broader scope. It could be administrative meetings. It could be uh, education. So think telehealth broader, telemedicine clinical services over a distance over to telecommunications technology. So to understand the rise of telehealth, we really need to dive into the need for these services and how the American healthcare system and the trends that we're seeing, why Telehealth is no longer an option. It's very much a need. So we're starting with a rapidly aging population. Secondly, we move into growing minority population. We need more people that, more healthcare providers that are culturally sensitive, understand uh, social, uh, social determinants of health and social economic factors. Also, is the rise of chronic disease. This is rapidly increasing the numbers of Medicare beneficiaries, as well as the changing national demographics and geographic dispersion of populations. Basically, what this summarizes is that we have an aging population with growing chronic illnesses and chronic diseases, a growing Medicare beneficiary population, and the, is, the problem is, is we don't have the providers to service these populations. So a way to counteract and balance that inequality between provider and need is the emerging need for technology-based solutions and the and, and a, any, any avenue to extend healthcare expertise from one place to another and maximize these healthcare resources as well as break barriers into traditionally areas where healthcare couldn't access, like rural areas um, and other hard to reach settings. But all these factors, as, as, as well as one thing I didn't mention here, the, the rise of value-based care, where you're, you're now having to provide healthcare with less resources and show quality and show that you're, you're saving money, all these with the aging pop, growing aging population and the rise of chronic disease, these are all the factors that adequate into the need for technology-based services such as telehealth. 
So to understand where we're going and this this growing need, I wanted to take a fun kind of trip back uh, and give you guys a history of telehealth, key historical events that have happened that have led to the rise of telehealth. And uh, we're going to go all the way back. Let's talk about 1876. This is actually when Alexander Graham Bell, he patented this telephone, the first phone. Uh, This actually brought in the first uh, age of telecommunications. And actually, you'll be surprised to learn that in 1924, Dr. Hugo Grinsback actually envisioned what was called the teledactyl. Uh, at that time, it was just a fantasy, but basically it was a robotic, uh, If you, it's pictured right here. It's a robotic uh, machine with arms and a video screen where a patient could be diagnosed. Again, back then, this was just a fantasy, but it was predicted in 1924. I thought that was pretty cool and a pr- cool picture there as well. We move on to 1960s. This is when uh, NASA actually started taking on telemedicine. The 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 push of money into the 1960s space age uh, had NASA starting to experiment how they could provide healthcare um, to their astronauts uh, on the space shuttle. So, in actually 1967, the first actual telemedicine system uh, was was created, and that connected paraprofessionals, folks that were at Boston Logan Airport with providers at Boston, Massachusetts General Hospital. They connected the patients from the airport to the providers at Massachusetts General via audio video microwave circuit, believe it or not. So that's going back to 1967. That's when the first telemedicine program was truly launched. In the 1970s, the federal government funded many programs. Uh, many, a uh, few ranges of t- telemedicine programs. They really focused on um, improving healthcare access to rural areas and underserved areas. A lot of grants were created around then um, to help bolster and, and establish some of these programs. In 1993, the non-for-profit organization, the American Telemedicine Association was created to help push for standards and legislation as well as policy around telemedicine. In 1999, uh, was when Medicare got into the game. This is when they started reimbursing for telehealth services uh, in rural areas. And then we'll take into account, you know, in the 2000s with video chats programs like Skype and uh, and others kind of making virtual video chat a reality. Um, so going now since the 2000s, going into now the, the 10, 20 years later with the advancements of 4G, 5G, as well as many new telehealth policies and reimbursements around every state, uh, the, the, the industry is continuing to rise and actually now is seen where we'll really truly see uh, the true impact and capabilities of telehealth solutions as these rural broadband type um, connectivity increases. So this is kind of a snapshot of the history of telehealth and some key historical events really really leading to where we are today. I'll take a pause there, guys. Any questions, um, feel free to jump in, raise your hands, uh, look in the chat box. But any questions? All right, we'll keep moving. So I'm going to go into some telehealth basics. Now, these are just high-level tips and tricks to think about when either when you're either when you're establishing a telehealth program or if you're a clinical provider looking to actually provide these types of services. Hold on. Okay. So, So here's some practical advice and tips for using telemedicine. Many people think it's 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 different to an in-person visit. Technically, it is right. You're seeing a patient through video conferencing solutions. But what you, what's important to understand and important to implement is that you ensure that you follow standard safety guidelines, just as you were would in in-person visits. It's very important. There's 50 different states, and all have diff- all have telehealth telemedicine policies. And technically, you know, you could see patients across state lines, but every state has different nuances around telehealth and telemedicine. 
So it's very important as a provider or an administrator or someone establishing a telehealth program within an organization, you need to learn the licensing and also the prescribing requirements of home and telemedicine states. Understand those nuances. We're going to talk about Florida today and we're going to talk about Medicare on a federal level today. But when you go into healthcare organizations that may cross into several states or you're a provider that has licenses in several states. We still are at a point in telehealth policy where you really need to understand each state that you're reaching into, which means you're seeing a patient that's physically in, you need to understand those rules and laws. Ensure HIPAA compliance. Just like any um, patient encounter, same thing applies for a virtual telemedicine encounter. Make sure it's secure um, video conferencing solution. It can't be Skype or FaceTime. It has to be a secure HIPAA compliant solution. Create a separate telehealth examination room. I think this is important. Make sure in your healthcare organization, there is a dedicated telehealth room where your telehealth equipment um, is, is implemented. And that's where those telehealth counselors or the virtual encounters occur. Complete basic training on the telehealth system and have ongoing training. Work with your vendors, work with your um, internal groups to understand and have continuous education on the system and telehealth solution. I think this is critical. One thing you guys will understand and probably already understand is the technology today moves at lightning fast speed. So you may, sorry about the the noises, let me cut that out real quick. Um, you know, you'll go into an organization, the technology is moving very fast. So we're going to talk a little bit about the technology today, but it's very important to understand and stay on top of the solutions that you're working with and the solutions you may implement down the road. A lot of things that I talk about when we develop these programs is, you know, the solutions you have today may look very different five years from now. And so, so it's always important to understand that it's not just about the technology. If you have a strong infrastructure, process, workflows, etc., the technology could be interchangeable. And so, yes, it's important to understand what's coming on, what's in, what's trending, what's on the horizon. But um, always keep keep on top of that. But make sure when you start off, have the strong foundation of workflows, policies, procedures, um, so that down the road you're not dependent on any technology. You have your processes in place, and you can be a little bit more fluid if you're incorporating new technologies down the road. Um, Keep in mind that these are going to continue to evolve and continue to change. Um, secure appropriate patient consent. I think this is a no-brainer. Educate the patient. You know, just like telehealth is new for providers, new for organizations, it's very new for patients as well. Though telehealth has shown you know patient satisfaction scores through the roof, it's important to educate them. Describe the nature of what this telemedicine visit is going to be about compared to what's in-person care and set the expectations, right? Understand there's limitations to telemedicine, telehealth. There's certain things you can and cannot do and make sure your providers and your patients understand that, hey, this is you, This is what it can do and this is what it cannot do and compare the two from in-person care to telemedicine care. Set that, um, set that expectation. And then schedule in-person visit first, if possible. It's always good to do that. Um, there is there is scenarios where telemedicine is the first contact with the patient, but many times, and reimbursement dictates a lot of that, is a lot of times these patients are established and you've already seen in person. Uh, it's always good to start that pa- doctor-patient relationship uh, in person first, though it can be do- done in telemedicine. Uh, moving on here. Okay. Um, it's it's also it's important to review the patient's cultural competence. Okay, this is one of those things that when you work with providers, is how do you convey that empathy without touch, right? Um, so it's important to educate your providers to say, hey, understand you know what they're how they speak or what language they speak or where they are. Um, understand, uh, get a good understanding of the demographics of the patient, be, be, be culturally competent, uh, competent and understand the limitations. If they're senior, if they're younger, you know, these take into account these things when you're having these virtual encounters. Um, and, 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 and more, they, they mean more than they, they mean stronger and they, um, 
are a bigger factor virtually than even in person. So review the patient's cultural competence, understand where they come from, understand their background, uh, and understand some challenges they may have doing virtual counters, uh, encounters. Um, know when to recommend that the patient needs to see a healthcare professional in person. As I mentioned before, certain things that you just cannot do via telemedicine. And so having those, those processes in place to say, hey, if this person has certain condition, they need to go see, uh, they need to go to the emergency room. That's something that the providers in, on the clinical side will have to understand and know that, hey, I can't, uh, I can't complete this session to my, my, my full ability uh, via telemedicine. So I need to recommend that they go in person. Everything in all communication with the patient should be documented, just like you do a in-person visit in the uh, electronic medical record. Another key point, prepare an emergency and a contingency plan. If the technology fails, if, the, if it's a behavioral health patient and they just, they just shut the laptop on you, you know, prepare an emergency contingency plan with all these consults to say, okay, if this happens, this needs to happen. Um, very important troubleshooting tips, um, things on issues with troubleshooting technology, no video, always prepare an emergency or contingency plan when developing these programs and then consult your telehealth guidelines. Um, ATA has some, the American Telemedicine Association has some tremendous practice guidelines for telebehavior health, teleprimary care, teledentistry. I mean, all the different practice standards are there and then you can consult your local medical boards as well, but consult your telehealth guidelines. People, uh, nowadays there's enough evidence-based um, information out there that you're not reinventing the wheel. There's models out there to follow. I suggest you consult those. Um, I'm gonna touch on this briefly. I don't know how many providers, actual clinical providers are out there, but again, even if you're an administrator that is going out there and is going to implement this type of program uh, into a healthcare organization to keep that empathy, to keep that continuity of care, um, it's important to have tele-etiquette. Uh, tele-etiquette is basically tips of when you're presenting a patient virtually, providers should keep in mind. Proper camera positioning. Uh, No-brainer, but hey, sometimes um, it, you know it's, it's, it's missed. Make sure the camera has a clear angle. Uh, good lighting uh, is very important. Uh, elimination of office and clinical noise. It's important to have, like I mentioned before, a dedicated exam room where a patient can come in, feel comfortable, it's secure, it's private. Um, no, no personal items sitting around within the view screen. This is also important. Let's say you're a provider doing it, you know, doing these consoles from home or your home office. Um, it's important to still keep a professional background um, within the view of the camera. Avoid bright and busy clothing patterns. These can really be a distraction in telehealth encounters. Um, so it's important to kind of avoid those busy clothing. But also, from a branding standpoint, I'll give you an example with University of Arizona, where all their telemedicine providers wear, wear a certain lab coat. And that was a way that they have branded their telemedicine program. Okay, so, so think about, you know, this could also be, hey, you know, you don't want the bright colors. But also you, if you're developing a telemedicine network or have a provider network that's gonna be using telemedicine within your organization, it could be a way to brand and, and stand out. So think about some of those things and how they affect on camera. Um, understand the subtleties of eye contact during a telehealth visit. When we talk about um, expo experimenting and, 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 and showing empathy, one of the ways is to do it is with eye contact. But with telemedicine, you guys, you know, there's a lot of times providers want to um, look at the screen. It's important to look at the camera and the patient, but keep that eye contact. Choose your words carefully. Display empathy. Talk. Um, talk slowly so they understand. Look and lean into the camera and nod your head to encourage the patient. Walk them through the console. Make them feel comfortable. Teleallocate, and you know, this is going to be a big. Uh, section of curriculum that's going to that's going to continue to uh, be developed within medical schools, in, in my opinion. 
there isn't a lot of this yet, uh, but it's slowly but surely coming. So uh, it's important. A lot of your providers, when you do get into the um, into the workforce and you're you're tasked to develop these type of programs, guess what? A lot of your clinical providers are not going to have this type of training. So it's going to be on you to start setting those expectations. Giving the there is some resources out there, but not many. But keeping that empathy in the care um, and making sure that they are understanding of these type of teleetiquette factors. Okay, um, very important points, especially for the clinical folks. All right, now let's dive into the types of telehealth. Now you guys may have uh, may know this, may not know this, but it's very important to understand the different telehealth modalities. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, uh, these different types of modalities, they could attack different types of problems and goals. They're used for different things. Um, And so it's important as you're looking for solutions for these different problems, uh, whether it's uh, telepsychiatry where you have issues where you're trying to have access to behavioral health providers, or you have... Um, you have you don't have an uh, you know radiologist or a um, a dermatologist on staff, and you want to send them images, or you have a pool of chronic uh, ill cardio uh, um, sorry congestive heart failure patients that are readmitting all the time, and you want a proactive way to monitor them, or you are tasked with a grant where you need to provide public education via a smartphone. Those are all types of telehealth, but have different goals and different solutions and different mechanics involved in them. So it's also, not only that, the different goals, we're going to learn here that telehealth is reimbursed via modality as well. So telemedicine is live audio video, which we'll talk about first, is, is reimbursed via consults. Storm forward, understanding that modality as a reimbursement and is recognized as storm forward modality, and you would have to bill it in that way. Same with remote patient monitoring. Um, and so, we're going to take a deep dive into these four modalities the four are live audio video, storm forward, remote patient monitoring, and M help. So, let's take a little deep, deeper dive into the telehealth modalities. Very important to understand the distinctions between them and also the goals and what what, what they're meant to use for, they're used for. A lot of times they'll tie in together and we'll talk about that too, but it's let's break them down one by one first. So, first one to talk about is the traditional live audio video encounter. This is synchronous. This is live. Okay, this is a live audio video console between a patient and a provider or a provider between a provider. Um, again, must be a secure HIPAA compliant video conferencing solution. Can't be FaceTime, it can't be Skype, has to be secure, encrypted uh, video conferencing solution. Has to be live audio video to be considered telemedicine. This is an important point. In many states before a phone call could be reimbursed as telemedicine. That no longer, a lot of that law has been cleared out. To be considered telemedicine in many, many, most states, you have to have a live audio-video connection, okay? Can't just be phone or fax or anything like that. So the first modality is live audio-video, the true premise of telemedicine, um, and one of the, one of the kind of the, the foundational uh, pieces of telehealth. Stored forward. Now, this is the the act, uh, and it involves the acquisition and storing of clinical information, whether it's data, sound, or video, that is then forwarded to a provider at a, another site for clinical evaluation. Now, this has been been around for forever uh, in in circles like teleradiology and dermatology, um, but now it's it's really growing in use. Um, it's often referred to as asynchronous. Why? Because it's not live, right? It's actually pre-recorded, sent over for review at a later time. So it's not live. Um, so asynchronous. And again, it must be transmitted via encrypted HIPAA compliant. And a lot of EMRs now have these portals in them where they where patients can upload images and share them with their physicians. So number two modality, storm forward or asynchronous um, telehealth. Lastly, remote patient monitoring. Now, remote patient monitoring, or RPM for short, 
is a technology that uses digital devices to enable monitoring of patients outside of clinical settings. For example, and most commonly in the home. All right, so it's often used for chronic disease management programs to really keep an, uh, an eye and a proactive view on cohorts of patients who are chronically ill, um, chronically that are chronically ill. Um, and key features of RPM are the remote monitoring and also the trending of physiological parameters uh, that are used for early detection of deterioration in patients. This is a very impactful use of telehealth that's going to continue to grow. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, some of the reimbursement around it, but really take a look into remote patient monitoring, the the effects of it, the impact of it, um, because this form of telehealth is going to be continuing to grow. There's a lot of uh, reimbursement being pushed behind it, funding being uh, issued and released, and just the sheer cost savings of keeping patients at the hospital have a proactive eye on them uh, is, is tremendous. So remote patient monitoring, very important to understand the dynamics of it and actually d- dynamics of implementing a program like that. Lastly, mHealth, also known as mobile health. It's really a more general term uh, for the use of mobile phones and other wireless technology in healthcare. Uh, you know, a lot of the most common applications of mHealth is the use of mobile diet to educate um, and some preventive healthcare services. But as more and more uh, digital therapeutics, if you've heard of those, um, get FDA approvals and more and more doctors are, believe it or not, prescribing apps, you're going to see a rise of mHealth uh, tremendously. So uh, something to consider. The four different modalities um, of telehealth. Any questions, guys? I'll pause there for a second. No questions. Okay, we'll keep moving. All right. So uh, I did want to go into I did want to go into the types of telehealth software. I think it's important, especially you guys in, in kind of the tech world, um, to understand the different types of telehealth softwares that are out there. Okay. Um, Full disclosure. Now, I'm, I've I've been in this space for many years, and I uh, and I've been a contributing editor for Telemedicine Magazine. I've really seen the technology really evolve in the space. A lot of consolidation happening. Where companies, you know, a, a few years ago there was thirty companies in the market. Now there's maybe five uh, acquisitions, mergers, uh, as well as bankruptcies. Believe it or not. Um, the types of telehealth software and the thing that's really evolved and the two things that I'll talk about, what, what's really evolved in the space is that the hardware is becoming very much ambiguous, but the software and the software offerings and the integration between different systems and the functionalities, that is where the, the industry is evolving. And that's where the, um, the, the competitive edge, so to say, is being gained is in one, the the functionalities of these softwares, two, the integrate, integration and that key, the buzzword interoperability with, with all healthcare systems, um, and the ability to utilize different functionalities. Um, so I'll talk about these three, but please know that some of the solutions now, and I would say when you go look for a telehealth software now, you should have these different three functionalities in there. Um, they've all come into one package, so to say now, but you could get pieces of this, um, in the past and you still can find them like that. They're not all the solutions are functional with all three of these, but the newer, most effective ones are, have a little bit of all three of these. So I'll start with the virtual visit software, traditional telemedicine software. It's going to be able to give you that audio video connection between patients, but it also will have a, give a provider back-end uh, back front office capability. So for example, they'll be able to schedule these virtual visits. It's a virtual waiting room where patients can jump on while, while the provider waits to get, see them, just like a real waiting room, they have the functionality to sit there, wait for the patient, and the doctor gets alerted of their next virtual console. Um, Definitely has evolved. There's a lot of solutions out there. Also, large provider networks that uh, providers can join and just receive consults via. 
You can integrate some type of diagnostic equipment into these, um, but a lot of it's just a video conferencing virtual waiting room solution. Remote patient monitoring software. So these are dashboards that care teams have. Uh, they're connected to a solution that is consumer facing. So uh, basically usually used in large hospital readmission programs. So I'll walk you through a typical scenario, right? Hospital uh, patient is diagnosed with chronic heart failure. They leave the hospital. The provider says, hey, we're going to put you on our remote patient monitoring program. Equipment's going to be sent to your home. You're going to upload your vitals to this equipment twice a day. They receive, and it could be in different flavors, so to say, but usually it's a tablet with a Bluetooth peripheral, whether it's a blood pressure cuff or a digital scale, depending on the type of program. They will upload using the peripherals to this tablet. It'll ask them different healthcare questions and survey questions. And what happens is they'll be able to upload this data to a provider dashboard where the cohorts of patients in front of the providers are trended, uh, they're assigned, and based on the parameters that the, the care team has developed, different alerts are given to the provider. Um, and that's that dashboard transit forum. You could even engage with them, send them different education, as well as in many cases, have a virtual visit consult with them as well. Um, and the patient side, as I mentioned before, it's a way to self-report as well as upload using the peripherals, um, as well as engage with the provider. There's different education surveys that can be delivered, very powerful two-way dashboards. Uh, and then lastly, store and forward software. I mean, this is used many times, as I mentioned before, in teleradiology and dermatology. And basically, it's, it's a secure database of images, x-rays that are used and accessed by providers um, to report any deficiencies and again, and reporting them again. Again, not live, asynchronous. So these are the three types of telehealth software. And again, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, a lot of the newer softwares are starting to incorporate all these different functionalities. So one software that has the virtual telemedicine capability along with being able to connect with devices and remote patient monitoring and trend different uh, vital sign data as well as be able to share imaging so um, there is softwares that are starting to incorporate all three of these functionalities but these are the three types of telehealth software moving on to the ty different types of telehealth hardware okay this all again very ambiguous but comes in different flavors so first we'll talk about telemedicine carts okay these are more stationary medical devices usually placed within the hospital or within the clinical setting it could be a hospital cart with two video screens on it hd camera integrated medical devices it could be placed where the patient is at a, at a let's say a primary care clinic in a rural area and connected back to another provider at another cart or another laptop-based solution um, where the specialist is. And usually this is clinic to clinic. Usually these solutions are used within uh, hospital settings or clinical settings. Again, they'll have integrated medical devices like digital stethoscopes, like digital otoscopes, um, EKGs. I mean, the, the possibilities are really truly endless with these but these are more stationary stationary type solutions um, we'll then move into these mobile telehealth cases uh, these are really used in, in more clinic mobile clinical settings so uh, think about disaster or a disaster preparedness or areas where you know the space is limited and a healthcare provider or an EMT can take a case that has a laptop on it, has video connection, has some of these more mobile telehealth uh, uh, peripherals like a stethoscope, otoscope, or EKG, but now can move that and be in, in smaller locations and present back to an emergency physician or other specialist. So mobile cases are essentially like the telemedicine carts, but in more of a mobile form. Um, the next one is, I wanna talk about because they are emerging on the market these handheld uh, all-in-one all mobile connected devices. These are like, these are consumer focused devices. A lot of times the consumers can self-administer them and they can do a plethora of diagnostic tests in one 
kind of unicorn device, so to say. Uh, these are coming to the market pretty strong. Uh, there's a company called Taito Care that I'm big on. There's another one called Magic Wand. Uh, but healthcare providers are doing partnerships with these groups, and there's a lot of retail push with these solutions as well. But start seeing a lot of these all-in-one mobile connected devices kind of coming onto the market as well. Uh, and then let's talk about wearables. I mean, healthcare wearables, the Apple Watch, the Fitbits are, have a clinical aspect to them as well now. And then those remote patient monitoring devices and are, are digital scales, digital blood pressure cuffs. Um, usually the trend now is tablet-based solutions uh, that are connected via Bluetooth or USB. Um, but these are generally the different types of telehealth hardware, again, depending on your use case, depending on the type of program you're trying to prop up, uh, you would look at these different hardware solutions. So, you know, before I move on, let me give you some scenarios, right? So if you're just a small critical access hospital and you have an emergency room where you have an abundance of Baker Act patients and the only way to really clear out that backlog of patients is you need a psychiatrist but you only have a psychiatrist during the day and your budget you cannot afford a psychiatrist overnight well guess what using telemedicine and a mobile cart solution in your er and connecting to let's say a site that you use but you know is 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 available but is much cheaper than having them on, on site that would be a simple solution with a telemedicine cart solution Now, let's say you're a home health care agency and you want to connect back to your senior living facility physician or geriatric physician and you have a nurse that's going to different folks' homes anyway and collecting vitals, maybe a mobile case, maybe a solution where they're taking those vitals and projecting them back. Um, And so a mobile case solution may make more sense. Now let's say let's talk about your 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 task with readmission and avoidance. You have a cohort of chronically ill uh, heart failure patients or COPD patients or diabetic patients, and guess what? Your director says, "Hey, you need to you need to lower these readmission rates. We need to have a proactive eye on patients if they're getting worse. How are you going to do that? A great way to do that is remote patient monitoring." And to say, okay, you have, let's say it's chronic heart failure, you need to understand any big, small gains in weight, right? So you're looking at a solution that is going to collect their weight or possibly blood pressure as well and give them education on, hey, how are you feeling? And different symptoms that may be associated with chronic heart failure, make sure you're educating them on that. And hopefully you have a care team in place where they can catch any parameters. Let's say there's three three pound weight gain or five point weight gain, those are the parameters you set. You're catching those patients first to say, hey, is everything okay? And so before they readmit or call and go into the hospital, you now have a proactive way to do that. And the solutions in the hardware that you would use would be remote patient monitoring devices. So it's important to tie your use case and understand what your use case is and then tie that to the technology. Make sense? All right. Uh, Real quick, we're going to run through this. Five ways to include telehealth into your practice. Uh, Great way is, hey, if you're coming into a healthcare organization that already has a telemedicine or a telehealth program in the works, join. Be a part of it, right? A lot of these folks and these programs are fairly new in a lot of cases. They're going to need their, there's a big focus from an executive level on growing these programs and keeping them sustainable. So join, you'll learn a lot. Um, You'll be learning a lot on the job, but as these programs grow, uh, you'll be an integral piece into their development. Um, These types of programs that generally have been uh, developed, a lot of them are telestroke programs, tele-ICU programs. So join some of those hospital telemedicine networks that may already be established if you are working in that type of healthcare environment. Um, If you're thinking proactively, hey, if you're a provider that has some type of specialty, come in there as administrator and incorporate some outpatient telemedicine visits. Think about how your provider can extend outside the four walls. Think about how many licenses they have. 
Think about the specialties that they could provide virtually. If they're a psychiatrist, great, huge need for psychiatrists around the country. How can you leverage that that specialty that you have, that, that your provider has, and use telehealth and telemedicine technologies to extend into different areas of the country? And a great way to do that is to join different telemedicine provider networks or actually just establish a white label solution and start marketing in those, those areas that your provider is um, license. And again, you can also partner with different hospital networks. There's groups that need those type of specialty services. You can now contract your services virtually. Great way to provide and extend specialties into different areas. Conduct home visits. As we'll discuss, remote patient monitoring, chronic care management, big part of where Medicare is going. And the use of remote patient monitoring technologies will be essential. So you could actually create a whole remote patient monitoring chronic care management program for your Medicare patients, even Medicaid patients, um, using different technologies. Great way to not only uh, make an impact in these these folks' lives, but also there is reimbursement and revenue to be gained uh, as you're monitoring and and monitoring these these patients using technologies. Nursing home patients, one of the biggest cost of cost uh, sectors, so to say, are skilled nursing and nursing homes. There is so many unwarranted transportations that happen from those facilities to emergency departments. And actually now, as of a year or so ago, uh, those nursing facilities are now actually going to be hit with readmission penalties. So a great way to start a program would be to work with the nursing home as well as the electron, uh, the um, emergency physician to, to provide a link between telemedicine first so they can assess the patient from the ER while they're still in the nursing home so we can avoid unavoided unwarranted transportations. Does this patient really need to go through the hassle of being transported to the hospital. And there's businesses being built that are doing just that. They're, they're a front, front line before they go to the ER, they connect with the physician first. Very, very vital and another growing area of telehealth. And then again, this presentation really built for nurse practitioners, but this could go for primary care providers or physicians or just any entrepreneurs that wanna bring on other providers. You can develop virtual care, kind of nurse triage centers that are that are receiving data from devices and just analyzing them, as well as virtual urgent care practices continuing to grow. Lots of, there's there's tons of these, these, but these are five quick ways that you can include telehealth into your practice. Moving on. So here we're gonna get into um, the, the new Florida telehealth legislation. Now, to give you the backstory, now Florida had one of the biggest barriers to telehealth period and not just Florida but in every state has been that hey the technology has existed as we we talked about in in the history of telehealth these technologies have existed for many many years problem has been that hey the technology existed but rules regulations laws and most importantly reimbursement hasn't existed right and so the biggest fight, so to say, has been fighting for providers to be able to use these services, use these solutions, but get reimbursed for using them. And one of the things that we fought for, and many states have, have won that fight, is mandates for insurance parity, which basically means that, hey, if I'm a provider and I provide my service in person, I should get paid at the same rate if I provide that service using telemedicine or virtually. Simple, right? Well, (laughs) insurance providers and health plans have fought tooth and nail in many states and definitely in our state to make sure that mandate isn't there. That, hey, we'll reimburse for telehealth services, but it needs to be negotiated. And that's really where we fought on a Florida level. have kind of had issues. A few years ago, fighting for these types of um, the, the, this insurance parity law, uh, we got an advisory council. The, gover- the, the governor put together an advisory council that appointed uh, folks from different aspects and different telehealth stakeholders from around the state. 
basically what they were tasked with was to survey every licensed provider and facility in the state. They surveyed them. Also, they collected data from existing programs um, throughout the state as well as nationally. And they put together some recommendations for the governor in regards to definition as well also reimbursement. Now, nothing much happened from that. I mean, we did get a little bit of reimbursement and uh, the Agency for Health Administration did include telehealth reimbursement in our Medicaid managed care plans. But what we did get was we just reached just uh, in April, we, the Florida finally passed, which was um, House Bill 23. This is a law that provided additional guidelines on the use of telehealth in Florida. Um, and the law cemented the validity of telehealth services in Florida. It established new telehealth practice standards. It created a registration process for out-of-state providers to provide telemedicine services into Florida. Um, but it didn't really introduce, well, let's say it, it did not put in a mandate. It still kept it open for commercial insurers to negotiate those rates. So, I mean, it's a win because it defines telehealth in our state a little bit clearer. It has some more practice standards around it, which is also very important. Um, but that mandate that most people were looking for, um, it's still not there. Well, basically what that means is you're still going to have to, if you're a provider, you still have to go to those health plans, commercial health plans. You're still going to have to go to them and basically negotiate, hey, this is how much you, you know, you're going to pay for my virtual care services. It's not that they won't reimburse. It's just that you have to have a conversation with them. On the flip side of that, Medicaid is actually more proactive as a payer in our state than the commercial payers. Uh, the Agency for Health Administration in their rollouts for Medicaid managed care this year, man, they did mandate. It was kind of a light mandate. Basically said they have to cover. Um, didn't say at the full rate. It still kind of leaves it up for negotiation. But it is a light mandate that Medicaid managed care does have to reimburse. But no commercial share payers have to reimburse. So hopefully that doesn't confuse you too much. This is a win. Um, I would definitely keep on top of this. The Agency for Health Administration has a lot of resources around um, the, the legality and the use of telehealth in our state of Florida. So I would um, I would encourage you guys to check that out. Um, but hey, one thing I'll say, it's legal in Florida, it's legal in every state. You just got to understand and, uh, and negotiate with your payers. Any questions on the um, Florida telehealth policies or laws? You guys have sound or no? I had a note there. There was no sound. Okay. I'm going to keep moving if you guys say there's no sound. Let me know. Okay. So moving on. I want to move on to federal telehealth legislation. Now, one of the issues with Medicare has been the restrictive policies around reimbursing for telehealth. Now, they have some very restrictive and barrier around reimbursement for telehealth because they still have what's called originating site requirements. Basically, what an originating site is, and we won't go too deep into this, an originating site is a location where a Medicare beneficiary gets physician or practitioner medical services through a telecommunication system. The Medicare beneficiary has to go to an originating site for their services and they have to be located either in a county outside a metropolitan area, so it has to be outside of a metropolitan area, and it has to be uh, considered a rural health professional shortage area. So uh, here are the big barriers, right? It had to be rural area, and then on top of that, it had to be an actual designated site and these are designated originating sites physician and practitioner offices hospitals critical access hospitals rural health clinics federally qualified healthcare centers skilled nursing facilities but yeah so those are two barriers not only did they have to be rural 
but then they had to be one of these originating sites where the patient had to go to first. So of course, you know, there many stakeholders saw this as very uh, intrusive and barriers to the uh, adoption and, and payment for telehealth. And for many years, telehealth stakeholders have been really pushing for Medicare to expand their telehealth coverage and telehealth policies to be more inclusive of not only additional originating sites or get rid of the originating site requirements, period, but as well as incorporate not only rural areas, but metropolitan areas as well. Access to healthcare is not a rural problem. Access to healthcare is a rural and an urban problem, okay? So Medicare and telehealth stakeholders have really been pushing Medicare to say, hey guys, update these policies, drop these barriers to, to reimbursement um, so, so more folks can have access to healthcare and, it's, and we have more providers adopting telehealth. Um, these are some of the practitioners um, that, get, that, are, that are covered and can get payment for telehealth. Um, physicians, physicians, assistants are part of this as well. Uh, but if you go to the Medicare website, you can see the full list of eligible Medicare uh, providers. Uh, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be very open to sharing uh, that list with you guys as well. I'm going to go into this briefly, uh, but it's important to really understand, especially if you're going into a role as a an admin or a CIO, CIO, whatever role you walk into, understanding the billing mechanisms of Medicare for telehealth is very important. And as I mentioned before, um, these, these originating site requirements and uh, rural designations have made it very hindering for providers to bill for telehealth. And again, stakeholders have been knocking on the door to say, hey, Medicare, you know, expand your coverages. So here are some high-level billing um, rules when billing for Medicare for telehealth services. It has to be audio video. You got you to gotta submit professional telehealth service claims with CPT codes and HPS, which is common for anything. But what's important is you need to also put in modifiers for billing, GQ modifiers for asynchronous. Uh, you also have to put a place of service code, which is O2, which which, which uh, tells Medicare that it's been that the the encounter was done via telehealth. Now, going back and talking a little bit about the history, so Medicare has reimbursed for these consoles for many years. Even though they've been restrictive, right? Only rural, only certain originating sites, only audio video. Um, and for many years, Medicare you know, policy has been really limited. So Medicare actually heard and listened to the this telehealth stakeholders. And as of 2019, which is this is a really big shift in telehealth reimbursement via Medicare, Medicare made some historic changes to how they reimbursed uh, for virtual communications. Now, that's important to, to understand virtual communications because even because that's a way that they kind of went around <laughs> telehealth. They reimbursed and created certain CPT codes for virtual communications that are like telehealth, but they're not named telehealth. And we're going to go through um, a few of those updated reimbursements that were introduced and released by Medicare in 2019 to help push the adoption of telehealth and virtual communication between patients and providers. So you'll get what I mean here. So the first one that they introduced, and these are the 2019 Medicare reimbursements I wanna talk about. The first code that they released was what's called a virtual check-in, okay? And again, uh, a Hey guys, so I hope you guys enjoyed that clip from my recent presentation and guest lecture to Nova Southeastern University students. Covered a lot in that presentation. Uh, you, you guys got most of it. At the end, there was a Q&A that was cut off that I do want to talk a little bit about. Uh, a, question, a great question was brought up and the question that was brought to me uh, that was asked was, how do we gain buy-in from clinical providers that may push back on 
utilizing telehealth, saying, hey, I need to see patients in person, which was a great question. My answer to the student was that you need to get, though telehealth is a collaborative effort, when you are presenting the solution and wanting to gain buy-in for telehealth, for a telehealth program, it's important to engage all different levels of the organization from the C-suite down. And they all have different goals and things that are important to them. So in my opinion, and the success that I've had in the past, it's tying telehealth to what is important to that specific role. So if it's a CEO, it's a CFO who's really looking at the bigger picture and the bottom line, how do you tie telehealth into that bottom line? Administrative folks really want to know how does it disrupt their workflow? How does it make it better? How does it make them more efficient? And then the clinical folks really want to, don't want additional headaches, don't want additional work or more administrative tasks when they just want to focus on clinical. How does this affect their patients' health and how do they provide better health care using these tools? Gaining buy-in is probably the most critical and hardest part of developing of a telehealth program or virtual care program and any type of change you're trying to introduce into a healthcare organization leveraging technology. Gaining buy-in is not only the first step, it's the most critical step. Many cases, technology is, is purchased or granted, and because buy-in from the providers, administrative folks, and as well as uh, the clinical folks, more importantly, the, the time isn't spent in the front end gaining that buying, making it important to them, tying it to their goals, tying it to the organizational goals and overarching goals, and then putting those those champions in place to operate the program. Often, if those steps aren't taken, those programs aren't successful. So in short, my answer to that student was tap every part of the organization from the top to bottom, make it important to what is to their goals, and then tie it all together from an overarching enterprise perspective. Easier said than done, yes, but a lot of headache is overcome doing this in the front end. And you're not going into your program blind. And understanding your needs, conducting a thorough needs assessment, understanding these tools are gap fillers. Recognizing where clinical resources or there are gaps in your organization's care. Solving those problems with technology is critical. And understanding and bringing a plan to solve problems using these solutions that means and is important, is meaningful and is important to all parts of your organization is critical. So do your homework on the front end. Understand your organization, knowing that not every program is one size fits all. Every program is different. Every type of healthcare setting is different. Goals are different. And problems are different. Identify the biggest problem. Work to develop a plan of how to telehealth will solve that problem. And gear it towards those different stakeholders and their goals and what's important to them. And tie it into a collaborative effort. And showcase the next steps. And take a phased approach. Show them that you did the homework to understand the challenges within their organization, the unique challenges within the organization. And work to get gain buy-in for the program before any technology is ever looked at, demoed, or touched. Get the buy-in. So, guys, I hope you really enjoyed this uh, clip and insight into a guest lecture that I provided um, to Nova Southeastern University. We really need to advocate for additional telehealth education and virtual care education. It is so important that our students that are graduating and going into the healthcare workforce have an understanding and knowledge of how to leverage these tools. So guys, I thank you again for joining me. Uh, this is another episode of the 10X Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Anilar Fine, signing off. Uh, feel free to shoot me some comments on Twitter. It's uh, at A-N-E-E-L-I-R-F-A-N. And follow me on Instagram, which is Anil Irfan Virtual Health. Once again, thanks for joining me. This is another episode of the 10X Healthcare Podcast. Until next time. 
Have a great day.